Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today we're going to revisit religious freedom conditions in the Central African Republic, or CAR. CAR is a landlocked country in the middle of Africa where nearly 90% of the population identifies as Christian and about 8.5% identify as Muslim. Yusuf began monitoring religious freedom conditions in CAR in 2013 when the country descended into a civil conflict. And after seven years of recommending that CAR be designated a country of particular concern for engaging in and tolerating particularly severe religious freedom violations, in 2020, Yusuf recommended CAR for special watch list status. And the next year, in 2021, we no longer recommended CAR for even the special watch list due to improvements in the situation on the ground the previous year. However, uh, conditions in CAR deteriorated in 2021, especially for Muslim minorities, causing USERF to return CAR to the list of countries it recommends for special watch list status. To explore these dynamics further, today we have John Lechner, an analyst and author focusing on security, geopolitics, and human rights in Africa. John recently traveled to CAR to learn more about the security situation there and its impact on everyday Central Africans. John, thanks for joining us and welcome to USERF Spotlight. Thank you for having me. If you could perhaps start by bringing our audience up to speed on recent developments in CAR, what's been going on there for the past year so that appears to be a deterioration in many ways? Sure. Uh, So to get a sense of the current dynamics in CAR, Uh, I think we need to go back about a year and a half to December 2020 presidential elections. Those elections pitted the incumbent, President Touadéra, against ex-president Bozizé. Bozizé was ousted in 2013 when a predominantly Muslim armed group alliance uh, known as Selica, which means uh, alliance in the local lingua franca sangha, swept down violently from the south. Bozize, before before fleeing, tapped into self-defense networks, which were predominantly Christian or uh, local practitioners of uh, folk religion, which became known as the anti-Balaka, that enacted reprisals on both armed groups and civilians alike. A brutal civil war, as you mentioned, followed. And as the conflict continued, anti-Balaka and ex-Selica groups formed and reformed alliances which crossed those religious divides and was evidence that the struggle was largely economic and political, not necessarily religiously based. In 2019, 14 armed groups signed a peace agreement. But by 2020, Bozize is back in the country and states his intentions to run in the upcoming presidential elections. This immediately created tensions, uh, which came to a head in December, right before elections, when the constitutional court canceled his candidacy citing a warrant, an international warrant uh, for his arrest on charges of war crimes during the 2013 civil war. 
Bozizé then partnered with six armed groups, again crossing the ex-Selica and anti-Balaka divides, to announce a new rebel alliance, the CPC, and made it all the way to the outskirts of the capital, Bangui, uh, which the Kar army, Russian mercenaries, collectively referred to as Wagner Group, Rwandan troops, and UN peacekeepers were able to defend. These events sparked a new phase in the decade-old conflict. And in 2021, which was the uh, reporting period for USERF's annual report, the Kar army, backed by Russian mercenaries and Rwandan troops, pushed the armed groups back outside of Bangui and regaining a degree of territorial integrity that we haven't seen in a very long time. But this territorial integrity has come at a significant cost in terms of human rights abuses, which, as the USERF report has specified, included the deliberate targeting of Muslim communities, notably Pu, uh, which is uh, also known as Fulani in English, uh, who are often uh, accused of affiliation with armed groups. So now in 2022, we are seeing more localization of violence. Certain sections of CAR, notably the Northwest, Southwest, and areas around Bangui have uh, seen a modicum of stability return, while clashes between the army, uh, Wagner mercenaries and armed groups continue to occur in diamond and gold rich northeast uh, provinces. So you mentioned some of the uh, uh, groups, particularly the Muslim communities impacted. Um, how have these developments that you talked about, the larger developments, impacted religious communities in particular? And from your perspective, uh, how have religious freedom conditions changed over the years? You touched on it a bit, but could you tell us a little bit more? Sure. Um, so this is this is a big question that goes to the the heart of Central African identity, and I think it's one that would probably require several podcasts. But uh, suffice it to say that it, it's impossible to extricate religious identity from other intersecting identities in the Central African Republic. So the language one speaks. Uh, one's village, one's profession, where one is a, uh, whether one is a farmer or a herder, a trader, but uh, central now to the discourse in the Central African Republic is the concept of autochthony. So who, who is truly from the Central African Republic and who is a foreigner? My friend, uh, researcher Gina Flavonu has, has done some excellent work on this subject. So Throughout CAR's history, there's always been a current of, of discourse that Muslims had come to CAR as traders, uh, herders, and were essentially, uh, quote unquote, foreigners, Chadians, Sudanese, etc. The implication being that true Central Africans are Christians. When Selica, largely from the north and, and largely Muslim, swept south, Bozize was able to instrumentalize this th discourse. And the anti-Balaka began to frame their violent actions as in, in opposition to the Muslim foreigners who were, quote unquote, invading the country. There were, of course, foreigners in Selica. Uh, this is a part of the world uh, with a very complicated history of, of border and identity. It goes back to colonial times. But of course, not everyone was a foreigner. Car has always had a Muslim, indigenous Muslim population. So the civil war had exacerbated issues uh, that already existed, and we continue to see discrimination against Muslims at the government level today, whether it be higher services, uh, fees for services, greater difficulties for Muslims in getting national identity cards, etc. So unsurprisingly, in areas where armed groups operate, 
given the renewed violence uh, in the CPC attack on Bangui, Muslim communities have been suffering disproportionately. And as Yusuf has highlighted in the report, we have seen government targeting of Muslims in mosques, executions of leaders, disappearances, et cetera, in an environment where local communities are often stuck in the middle, suffering at the hands of armed groups as well. So basically the picture you're painting, and, and you've also referred to our reporting uh, on CAR. Uh, do you agree with our assessment that conditions have deteriorated for Muslim minorities uh, in 2021, uh, warranting CAR's placement on the State Department's special watch list uh, for engaging in and tolerating religious freedom violations? Um, you know, and if, if not, tell us why, but it sounds like, you know, in reference, uh, you seem to share those beliefs, but tell me, tell me what your, uh, sentiment was, especially being, having been on the ground, uh, recently. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so yes, I, I, I do agree. Um, the, the Central African Republic is, is in many respects, a very difficult country to monitor for religious freedom conditions. We have to remember that CAR is the poorest, least developed country in the world. Uh, the, the French never thought it necessary to build a school uh, in the territory until the 1950s. It's an area that's bigger than France uh, with only 400 total miles of paved roads. Many villages and towns are, are completely inaccessible during the rainy season. Half the population needs humanitarian aid one in three people is displaced. And so in this operating environment, it can be very difficult to come by uh, some of the data that, that USERF often requires for, uh, for showing uh, the, the trends and in, in, in issues on the ground. Um, so we know that discrimination occurs. We, we can always, you know, we can listen to Central Africans and hear their testimonies, but it can often be very difficult um, like in many other parts of the world to prove that that discrimination is structural. What we are able to monitor, however, are more, more accurately and perhaps on, on an easier level is the human rights abuses, the disproportionate targeting of Muslims, notably Polo or, or Fulani communities by government forces and, and Russian private military contractors from Wagner Group. And um, I think it's... Uh, uh, it's very convincing uh, that it, during 2021, uh, we, we saw a significant deterioration uh, in that regard. So you've alluded uh, many times uh, earlier in our discussion about the involvement of foreign fighters in the dynamics that we see in CAR and how complicated that might be, and particularly uh, Russian private military contractors, mercenaries with strong ties to the Russian government. As you uh, are aware, Moscow's uh, religious freedom record is itself highly problematic. Both USERF and the State Department consider it a country of particular concern for engaging in systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations. What's your assessment regarding the role that uh, Russia plays directly, and if not directly, indirectly through their proxies uh, with the challenges in CAR? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question. and. Um... It, it's one that uh, at a granular granular level, we don't have a, a lot of detail. We don't have um, a lot of detail on the command and control, the, the kind of inner workings of, uh, of these PMC operations. But I think 
Also very importantly, what often gets lost uh, in, in these conversations is the agency of African governments, elite, uh, government officials, even people on the ground. And, and there's a tendency to overstate or project uh, a level of control over events on the ground uh, to Russians that we would not necessarily ascribe to ourselves in such an environment. And so in a place like Kar, by definition in an area where conflict or civil war uh, is taking place, multiple authorities are competing for legitimacy and control, which of course means that no actor has total control over a given territory. And also it's my belief that the level of uh, Russian government support really varies according to uh, the Kremlin's strategic interest. And again, the Central African Republic, as the poorest, uh, least developed country in the world, is just not a top priority right now for the Kremlin. And I think Moscow's invasion of Ukraine in February shows where its true priorities currently lie. But still, the, the fact that these Russian mercenaries often inept and, and not really you know, the top of their class are, are following path dependencies within the conflict that existed years prior to their arrival, uh, shows me that they often act more as, I would say, force multipliers for the negative trends in religious freedom dynamics that we see in a country. But they are not necessarily the originators or cause of these challenges in religious freedom themselves. Yeah, then that's helpful to get that sense. And, um, you know, for those who follow the region, you know, that, uh, Qatar is not the only country looking to partner with Russia to address its security threats. Uh, the government of Mali has signed a contract with the Wagner Group that you referred to earlier, uh, and reports uh, suggest that the military-led government in Burkina Faso and the BIA administration in Cameroon are also considering uh, such an agreement. Uh, these are all countries where USURF has recorded instances of religious freedom violations in the past. What can you tell us in terms of this trend of uh, Russian uh, security partnerships in West and Central Africa? What will that mean for religious freedom in these countries? And how should U.S. policymakers be responding, if at all, at this point? Yeah. So uh, I, I think the key word here um, is that USERF has already recorded instances of religious freedom violations in, in the past. And that goes back, I think, to uh, your, your prior question in terms of how Russian mercenaries potentially affect uh, dynamics and, and that they work as a uh, force multiplier. So uh, the Mali context, of course, differs greatly uh, in terms of terrain and actors from the Central African Republic. And uh, as of now, I, I think we shouldn't put, uh, with the war in Ukraine going on, I, I don't think we should put too much stock uh, in a potential agreement between Burkina Faso uh, and the Russian government. And I, I su suspect that the recent agreement um, with Cameroon might be more about weapons than it is uh, about mercenaries. And, and we can go into a lot of detail on whether uh, the, the Russians would even have the resources or capabilities to be deploying in another uh, theater. But in Mali, again, it's important to note that these uh, religious freedom violations, the, the government's targeting of specific groups such as uh, ethnic Fulani, occurred amidst a French-led uh, intervention in the territory as well. In the territory as well, and so while interveners uh, tend to judge themselves on their intentions for the intervention, though those intervened upon will will judge them by their results and repercussions. 
And like I said, with these human rights abuses already occurring, um, there, there is a certain need to make sure that we also don't uh, just foist uh, the blame for future religious freedom violations on, on the arrival of Russians. We kind of let the we let African government, local governments off the hook um, in, in a way when we do so. So again, if a trend or path dependency existed before, uh, we can expect that it, it will be, it will likely continue uh, when a government partners with mercenaries. Uh, mercenaries will largely uh, be as accountable as their client. And we have already seen what Malian forces backed by mercenaries did in the town of Mora. Uh, in central Mali, where 300 jihadists and civilians were executed uh, over the course of five days. I think in, in response, U.S. policymakers need to fight the urge to isolate these countries um, for their decision to partner with Russian PMCs. Uh, we have to remember that governments make these decisions based on local security priorities, uh, not their political views on the war in Ukraine or, or Putin's leadership style. And uh, these are countries like Kar and Mali with the, the poorest people in, in the world in, in punishing these countries for, for these Russian connections by reducing aid will not alter uh, the government's behavior or protect civilians. It will only uh, likely exacerbate harm to populations that are already in the grips of a severe food crisis and, and displacement. And moreover, there are complicating factors as well, that a security deterioration in those territories, along with the growth of actors uh, more toxic than the Russians uh, that they're fighting, might well force the United States to come back and ask for cooperation from the same local authorities uh, in the future. And so rather than uh, necessarily try and work on countering uh, the presence of uh, PMCs on the territory, Washington policymakers should continue to focus on coherent, circumspect, uh, circumspect and engaged policy for these countries that address the structural inequalities and other root causes uh, that brought Russian mercenaries to the territory in the first place. Well, certainly it's complex and complicated, but we greatly appreciate uh, your insights and your perspectives uh, from uh, tracking this, but also being on the ground and seeing things firsthand. We'll have to leave it right here. But again, thank you, John Lechner, for your insights. You can find USERF's reporting on CAR and the full set of recommendations for U.S. policy from our most recent annual report on our website. Thanks for joining today. We'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight. <laughs>